Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started here. We want to use our time as wisely as possible. Did anyone not get this resource list from first thing this morning, recommended resources? Hang on to that. As I said, that's, that's really um, got the most valuable information on it, I believe. Okay, Julia, I think we're, we're ready to roll. Let's just have another word of prayer. Lord, as we continue on this journey of learning, I pray that you will go with us. I pray that you will quicken my mind and help me to think of the right things to say. Pray that those listening can uh, learn and grow and uh, May it all be for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to talk about the market gardening model here, making a living on a small piece of land. Now, I will just say that uh, when, when people think of farming in our country, what comes to your mind when you hear somebody's a farmer or they're farming? Okay, yeah, huge acreage. Most, most uh, conventional farms are 1,000-plus acres. You know, huge tractors, right? Um, and, and all kinds of very, very expensive equipment. Well, that's not the kind of farming we're talking about. I, I think you understand that. And that's not the kind of farming that Ad Agra is all about, and I, I want to make it clear: we're not we're not against that kind of farming per se. Now, there are things that a lot of those farmers are doing that we don't agree with, but just because you're big doesn't mean you're bad. I want to make that clear. Um, but we're talking in here. I want to give you a picture of a market gardening model that. I'm really excited about because, well, I think we're going to find out here um, and see if you get excited about it too. So we're just going to define it first. So, and, and of course, there's no dictionary definition. These definitions are, are a little vague, but I would say it's less than three acres of cultivated land. And many of the most successful market gardens are actually an acre and a half or less. So that's exciting to me because most people could afford a few acres in the country. You know, that's a big barrier to all these people who are convicted on country living. Well, we can't afford to, to buy a farm. Well, you don't need a farm. Five acres, you know. I think most people could come up with, with that. And if you, if you don't have the resources for five acres, God will open the way. If he's calling you to do it. I mean, we've heard amazing stories of God's leading on that. So less than three acres, they're going to be characterized by intensive beds and multiple crops per bed per year. This is, that's what makes it profitable, is the intensity of the growing. You know, this is not tractor farming where your rows are three, four, five feet apart, whatever. You know, you kind of have to base your, your layout on the wheels of your tractor and all that kind of stuff. This is intensive beds, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. Most market gardens are going to take advantage of season extension. Um, I'm sure it will be mentioned later, but I just want to emphasize our experience is the money is to be made in the spring. If you can be first to market with your produce, you've got we we sell out every market in the early spring and we're able to get there early because we have lots of hoop houses 
so we can plant things a month ahead of everybody else. And so we literally, for somebody's going to catch on sooner or later, and we're going to have some competition. But for, for years now, you know, we have tomatoes almost a month before anybody else. And everybody in spring is craving fresh produce. So that season extension, getting a jump early. Now, what we've found is in the fall, we can extend the season. We still have tomatoes and peppers and everything going at home, even though we've had frost because they're in a hoop house. But the market isn't the same. You know, it's like, oh, tomatoes. Yeah, I've had lots of tomatoes. Um, there's something about that early spring. And then the other thing that is really good is the, the winter. You know, the Pearlies are doing a winter CSA. That's actually how we started with the winter CSA. We do everything the hard way, backwards, you know. Um, but there's, there's so little fresh produce. Well, it depends, of course, on where you live, but... Generally speaking, in the U.S., fresh produce in the dead of winter, man, when people open their CSA boxes, you'd think it was Christmas. <gasps> oh, amazing. You know, it's cold and snowing or raining, and they open this up, and it's like, boom, spring pops out of the box. It's really incredible. Usually very diverse, you know, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. Um, and, and we've learned this the hard way. I wish we had more time to share our journey. But actually, we'll be telling you later on. I'll just give you the heads up. My wife has written a book. I helped her a little bit. But of our personal testimony. And again, it's all to God's glory. It's, we're not putting ourselves as the model to follow. But you know, we've been there. We know what it's like to start with nothing, to know nothing. We've been there, and, and the Lord brought us through. And so we want to share that testimony with people, and we're taking pre-orders on the book. It's starting the publication process. Um, anyway, just back to the diversity, um, we started out just growing strawberries, and we about lost our pants and our shirt doing that. And there were a lot of reasons, you know. The biggest reason, of course, was that we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> that always helps. Um, so some of the advantages of this market gar gardening model. Obviously, we've talked about less land needed. Oh, and I'll just apologize ahead of time. There, there are missing pictures here. That's because my daughter is, is my art director, and she's now got a lot of things going. So whenever I come up with a new presentation, um, she has to make it look pretty, and it doesn't always happen. So actually, I think the next presentation is not going to have any pictures, but... I, Pictures just make it look pretty, but you'll still get all the information. Um, less water needed. Now, you know, depending on where you live in the country, that may or may not be an issue. But, you know, you can imagine if you've got 50 acres that need irrigation, that's a whole lot of water. But if you're growing only on an acre, acre and a half, you know, you can almost do that with a garden hose, you know, and some sprinklers. So that's a big thing if you don't have a good water source. Now, we are blessed with an amazing water source, so that's not important to us. But this is a big one. Less equipment needed. You don't even have to buy a tractor. Now, is it nice to have a tractor? Sure. You know, a front-end loader of the tractor, I tell people that's the most useful tool on a farm. Um, incredibly useful but you don't have to have it. And Mr. Richard Daly is here with BCSs. Um, for a small market gardener, a BCS, what they call a walking tractor, is really all you need. 
and those are a whole lot less expensive than a four-wheel tractor. They're a whole lot less intimidating. You know, you can change a clutch on those and it's not intimidating, whereas trying to break apart a full-size tractor and change a clutch, that's, that's intimidating to me. For some of you, it may not be. So you have much less money in, in equipment, less stress needed. You know, um, everybody's got different personalities. Some people can handle, you know, their lives being a little chaotic. Um, I don't like chaos, you know. I like things neat and orderly. And, of course, if you come to our farm, it doesn't always look neat and orderly like we want it to, but it's our goal. That's what we're working towards. So, you know, if you have an acre and you look at that and the weeds are really growing, you've had a lot of rain in the spring and you haven't been able to cultivate, you know, that's, it's like, okay, I, I can handle this. But if you've got 10 acres, you know, it's like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, so it's just, for me, it's much less stressful. And, and as I mentioned already, more people can make a living off the land. That, to me, is exciting. You know, there's some Mrs. White quotes where she talks about there are thousands in the cities that could make a living on a little piece of land. Have you read those kind of quotes? And I'll put in a little, another plug here. I'm just finishing up an Ella White compilation. It's actually at the printers. We're hoping to have it for the conference here, but it's not quite ready. But if you read everything Mrs. White has to say about agriculture, you will be, um, well, I think you'll be convicted. And you'll say, man, where do I sign on the dotted line? Because um, there's a lot there recommending this kind of lifestyle. So those are some advantages. Did I go? Okay. Oops. Sorry, I thought maybe I'd gone. Skipped a slide. So just briefly, and we'll come back and talk about some of these in more detail, but the in intensive production, you know, you, you need to get more than one crop out of your land every year. And depending on what you're growing, you should be able to at least get two crops and preferably three or four if you're going year-round especially. Um, so it's like one crop comes out and you want the next one in there. And man, I'm just thinking of all the things I should talk about that I don't have in all my stuff here just because there's not room. But anyway, that's, that's a big reason for growing transplants um, because you can have a transplant that's already a month old ready to hit the ground as soon as you pull out your other crop and you've just gained a month on your season. Does that make sense? You follow me on that? If you had to plant the seed in the ground, you've lost a month. So um, beds rather than rows, again, it's all about intensity. And you see in the picture here, you know, we, we have 30 inch wide beds um, that's kind of an industry standard now. And, and then, of course, you want to focus on the high-value crops. Um, you're not going to make a living on an acre and a half growing sweet corn. I can promise you that. Um, you've got to focus on the highest return crops. And we'll, we'll be looking at some of those. Of course, if you're growing that intensively you've got to have a highly fertile soil. You know, you can't, you, you can't take out of the soil more than you're putting into it. Otherwise, you're the loser. Um, you know, this is a spiritual principle as well. You always want to be giving. It's the law of service, giving to the soil, and then um, the soil gives it back or the Lord gives it back. 
Um, of course, we've got a whole session, 13 hours on soil health, so I'm, I'm not even going to go there because that's a huge area that I still feel like a novice at. But, um, you know, you, you need to get your soil tested. That's important. And since you're here, you're not in Whitmar McConnell's class, I would really encourage you to either get the video or... Um, on audio verse, listen to that, and you'll probably have to listen three or four times because it can get kind of deep, and it takes a bit, unless you're a chemistry major, then maybe you can understand it a little better. Um, but you need to amend as recommended, you know, if you're low in potassium, we're low in potassium, you, you gotta get it there somehow. Um, Grow cover crops, of course, that's, that's the cheapest way to, to improve your soil. And make compost. Now, I say make compost. Um, we have run into some issues with, with buying compost. And we realize that when you're buying compost, you may actually, in the long run, end up hurting yourself more than you're helping because and unless you know the specific nutrient analysis of that compost and you know the specific nutrient analysis of your soil you know you can quickly add too much phosphorus too much calcium and actually throw your your soil out of whack and and we speak from personal experience with this we're trying to now correct, you know, and just briefly, I'll just tell you, we started out with Elliot Coleman's books. We'll talk about those. If you don't know Elliot Coleman, you need to know who Elliot Coleman is. He's just kind of been the pioneer of this kind of thing in our country. Um, and he, of course, is on your recommended list there. But one thing where where we kind of have come to disagree a little bit is he kind of, he basically has the it's the traditional organic philosophy just pile on the organic matter pile on the compost the more the better well depending on your soil and you know that you can get away with that for a while and and I don't want to denigrate compost cuz compost is a wonderful thing but it's not the catch-all solution because it's still made up of nutrients and if it's not what your soil needs you're not doing yourself any good in the long run so I, I but my theory and and I think it holds true is that if you're making your own compost you're never gonna throw your soil out of whack does that make sense because it doesn't make sense okay Well, the point is, if it's coming off your soil, of course, you're going to have a little bit of kitchen scraps that didn't come off your soil. But for the main part, you're recycling. So you're putting back what came out. So you can't get it too out of whack. Does that make sense? So I think as long as you're making it yourself, keep putting it on. Um, but you'll probably never put on too much because it's hard to make too much compost. So that's another good thing about making it yourself. Um, okay, another key to success. Again, we kind of talked about this season extension. Again, there's a class my brother's teaching. I'm not sure if it's tomorrow or the next day that will get more into this. But you can start with very simple things like floating row cover. Do you all know what floating row cover is? Hopefully you do. If you don't, that's one thing you get, need to get to know because it's amazing. Just this thin, it's dryer sheet material, you know. That thin material can add a week or two to your season and protect... I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I remember once we had some row cover we'd taken out of a hoop house and we hadn't, you know, it was a spring rush. We hadn't put it away and it was covering some clover outside. And when we took it off, 
the clover under the, the row cover was blooming, you know, whereas everything outside wasn't. So just that thin piece of material had made a big difference. Row cover is a pain, you know, putting it on, taking it off, putting it away. It is a pain, but it's one of those pains that you endure because it, it's definitely a blessing. Low tunnels, um, you know, something low that you don't necessarily get under, although I get under them when it gets really cold. When it's cold and windy out and you're trying to harvest it's a nice little shelter under there. You just crawl under. And, um, and then hoop houses, of course, I, I should just make sure. Does everybody know what a hoop house is? It's, it's a little confusing because there's different terminologies. Some people just say greenhouse. But in my mind, a greenhouse, it can be the same metal structure, but it's going to have two layers of plastic with air blowing in between for insulation and it's usually heated. That's why you want those two layers of plastic. That's where you would want to start your plants, but a hoop house is usually just one layer of plastic. Okay. Yeah, I so I want there there's a number of names. High tunnel is another name depending on what part of the country and whatever High tunnel, hoop house, same thing. And I'm trying to think. There's another name, I think. Anyway. Again, yeah, the, the, somebody's saying sometimes with open ends, um, that can be true depending on how much or what you're using it for, basically. Um, and, of course, we talked about transplants as a way to extend the season. It's all about being efficient. That's where you make your money. The more efficient you can be, the more you can actually... That's really the case with any manual trade. If you're slow at it, you know, if you're a lay floors or whatever, if you're slow, you're not going to make money. But if you're fast and efficient, then you can make money at it. I just have to orient myself. This, we started at 9.30, right? So this should go till 10.30. Okay. Um, you want to make sure your layout is really efficient. We'll talk some about that later. And, and of course, you want to work smarter, not harder. Um, you can work super hard on a farm and not make as much as if you just worked smarter and half as hard, you know what I'm saying? It's really about developing systems. And there's a great new book that's come out this year that's on your resource list called The Lean Farm. Excellent book that is all about efficiency. It's not that, don't buy that book and expect it to tell you how to, grow a garden because that's not its purpose but it tells you how to make your farm more efficient and profitable okay of course my wife touched on this a little bit you know we like direct sales for two reasons number one as she said and, and really the biggest reason we stick with CSA and farmers markets is because we want to see the faces of those who are going to eat our food. We want to have that personal contact. Um, but there's other reasons for it, and that's just the reality that you, as I said earlier, it's hard to make a living at this. So you need to get every penny out of that food dollar that you can. Does that make sense? And you hear how commercial growers, you know, they only get pennies per dollar for the end product, you know, because it goes through all these middlemen. We like farmer's market. We love CSA. Um, High-end restaurants, you know, that's not exactly direct sales, but you can make some fairly good money that way. Um, 
And then, of course, another big key to success is planning. You know, this doesn't just happen. It takes a tremendous amount of planning. And, and again, we're going to touch more on this this afternoon, um, but not touch on it as much as we need to. Um, you know, you can't just plant your garden in the spring and think that it's done. You've got to keep planting all summer long, what they call succession planting, to keep the garden coming on. Okay, size of garden. I love this quote, always tend the smallest amount of land possible, but tend it exceptionally well. You know, there's a quote from Mrs. White that says, and it's actually in, in connection with farmers trying to do more and more. She says, don't you know that God can make 20 acres produce as much as 100? And I love that. I think that's a really important principle. We keep thinking we've got to, to add, you know, make, well, if we're not making enough money on one acre, let's grow two acres. Well, it doesn't actually work that way. And, and just another plug for that book, The Lean Farm, the, the author of that book was growing three acres of produce. They've leaned that down to one acre, and they're making as much on the one acre as they used to make on three. So that's just pointing out this, this idea here. The less land you tend the better you can tend it. A personal example for us, you know, I told you we started out with, with strawberries. We were growing an acre of strawberries, 17,000 plants, you know, we planted every fall. Um, now, we keep cutting back. We're down to 5,000 plants, but we're making as much on the 5,000 as we used to make on the 17,000 because we're able to take better care of them. We're able to keep them better picked. You know, if you don't keep on top of the picking, you can shut down the strawberries from producing. Um, you know, th this is going to vary, but, but I'm suggesting a half acre for per full-time worker. Um, if you try to do much more than that, in fact, you know, some of the most intensive farms, um, it's like a quarter acre per person, full time. Um, if you're not doing it quite so intensively, you know, Elliot Coleman talks about up to two and a half acres per person, but I don't know. I'd hate to try to manage two and a half acres by myself. Um, but you just got to kind of think about these things because it's easier to plant than it is to maintain, right? So you can go out and, oh man, let's plant all this and this and this, and then the weeds start coming up and it's like, what do we do now? Um, so it's important to understand that there's an income potential of fifty to $100,000 per acre. And um, that's not going to happen overnight. I'll just tell you that. That's an experienced grower. That's somebody who's got their systems down really well. We're, we're going to be very transparent with you. You know, we, we brought in about 95000 this year. And that was on roughly three acres, about... Three quarters of an acre is really intensively planted, and then the others are um, more, you know, we do have a tractor because we have a large piece of property. We just need it for maintaining. So we have, you know, two and two, a little over two acres in kind of field crops. You know, that's where we plant our strawberries and melons and potatoes and that kind of thing. That's our gross. We were hoping f to hit 100,000. That was our budget for this year, but we, 
ran into some challenges mid-season, so we didn't quite make it this year. But it, the encouraging thing is it goes up every year. Um, so, yeah, and it, we'll talk more about that later. But I just, you know, I want to be up front with you. And, you know, gross is a lot different than net. You do understand the difference, right? <laughs> um, so we're not making that, you know, that's not going in our pockets by any means. Location. Let's talk about the importance of location. Now, notice the word ideally, because I don't want to discourage anyone if they're not within an hour's drive of a major metropolitan area. But um, that's ideal. We're right at an hour from Nashville. Nashville is our main market. And so, you know, in the growing season, we're going into Nashville twice a week. So you can imagine if you're two or three hours away, that's a lot of time on the road every week. And that's time you're not in the garden, and that's just not very efficient. Uh, you know, you would like to be able to just support little towns, but the, the harsh reality is little towns usually are not open to what you have to offer them. They don't value the the premium that you need to get for quality produce you know they're looking for the cheapest stuff out there well walmart has it for a dollar 99 how come you're charging three dollars well i guess if you want it for a dollar 99 you'll have to go to walmart to buy it but you know this i mean we try to be tactful and actually we get very few comments like that but um you know, well, if, if all you're concerned about is price, go to Walmart. If you want quality, we think we, we have the best to offer. But it doesn't, you know, that takes a lot of work. And look at our car. Look at our house. You know, we can promise you we're not ripping you off here. Okay? So the point is just that... Um, for the most part, and there, there are a lot of exceptions to this, but for the most part, your, your market is more the upper middle class, um, you know, that's kind of the people. And, and we're very open with that, you know, we, if people complain about our prices, and again, it's, it's rare, but there are those that will say, you know, we understand, we couldn't afford to buy our own produce. <laughs> That's why we grow it ourselves, you know. If you can't afford it, it's okay. We understand. We'll teach you how to grow it, okay? But if you don't want to grow it, you're going to have to pay us what we need to get to do it for you. Is that fair? We'll teach you. We're not trying to be exclusive because um, we know we can't afford that. Good water source. I can't say enough about this. You know, if you're just relying on rain and you live in California, you're out of business, right? Um, of course, for those of us in the east, we're a little more fortunate, but still, rain doesn't always come when you want it. So if you don't have a good source of irrigation, that would be a big concern to me. Good sun exposure, I hope that's obvious, but um, it's not always obvious to everybody. Um, you need to know where the sun is at all times of the year if you're planning to grow year-round or maybe eventually grow year-round. You know, I think you all understand the how that works in the wintertime it's lower and and so if there's trees shading you, you just need to think about all those things good soil well that's ideal but the good thing about soil is soil can be improved it just may take a lot more work um, so that wouldn't be the deciding factor but you want to weigh all these things fairly level you know again there's plenty of places in the world where they terrace hillsides like this in Honduras well they weren't terracing 
they were literally growing on growing corn maize on slopes like this unbelievable but you know if it's not fairly level you've got all the erosion issues that you have to think about so the more level it is the better you know the ideal is a slightly sloping southern face southern slope uh, but we're not always in the ideal world okay a little more on garden layout so again, these, these pictures are important in this one, so I'm very happy that you can at least see what we're talking about here. Um, as I said earlier, 30-inch wide beds are kind of an industry standard because there's a lot of tools, and we'll be showing you some of those in a bit here, tools that have been designed largely by Elliot Coleman. He has kind of set the standard for bed width. Um, but there's just uh, things that, that are designed for a 30-inch bed. The other nice thing about 30-inch wide is that you can straddle it. It's not too big a stretch to straddle it. And you can... I'm trying to stay close to this, so, but... Um, you know, you can bend over and transplant or harvest straddling the bed, which is certainly more efficient. It, you got to work up to it with your back, but um, it, you can easily step across it. You can actually reach across it if you're kneeling or whatever. It's, it's a bit of a stretch to get to the other side, but most people can reach across a 30-inch bed. So I, I would just recommend, unless you have a very good reason not to go with a 30-inch bed, that you just stick with what works. Um, and, and yeah, as far as something easily that goes into 100, um, I, I don't even have it here, but I will get it before the day is over. There's a book that I'm going to highly recommend to you. It's called The Market Gardener. It's on your resource list there. How many of you have seen that book? Wow, that's good. Quite a few of you. Okay, great. You have it with you. That is, that's the closest thing that I have seen yet to a manual that you can just take and read it and apply it and succeed at it. Um, so highly recommended. And in there, he's got all kinds of charts that are worth their weight in gold almost, you know, of how much he gets off a 100-foot bed. And, and so that's very helpful to somebody starting out. Well, how am I supposed to know how much lettuce I'm going to harvest off a 100-foot bed? Well... Of course, if it's head lettuce, that's a little easier to figure. But baby lettuce, well, it's about 45 pounds if you've got a good stand. Um, but, yeah, having those charts is extremely helpful. Pathways, 12 to 18 inches wide. Again, um, pathways are a waste of space except for the fact you've got to get through there, right? So you don't want more than you need. Now, J.M., I call him J.M., Jean-Martin, who's, who's written The Market Gardener, he, he likes 18-inch wide pathways. And, and there are good reasons for that. If you're squatting or kneeling in a 12-inch pathway, it's very easy to be smashing the plants in the path behind you. So... Um, if you have the space, 18 inches good. But again, that's all space you've got to cultivate. So you want to, you want to weigh. Ours are, and, and even JM, in his hoop houses, he does 12-inch pathways. Because that's your most valuable real estate. You want it as intensively planted as possible. Um, so, so tighten up those pathways and make them as small. I've, I've heard of people, there's one guy who's coming out with a book, um, The Urban Gardener, it's called, Curtis Stone. He, he has like 
trying to remember what it is. My son's not here. I think it's six-inch pathways. You know, the only way you, you, you have to walk, you know, with your feet. And, but, but he's just doing it so intensively. Blocks of beds. And, and the reason for this, and again, you know, it's so much easier to just say, go read J.M.'s book, The Market Gardener, you know. And then I can sit down and relax. But um, you, you grow, are you all familiar with crop rotation? The concept, at least, that different plants have different needs from the soil as well as different pests and disease pressures and stuff. So you want to you wanna mix them up um, and not grow the same thing in the same place every year. And I say that, but whenever I say that, there are people who will argue with me on it, and I can't refute them because in nature, you know, if you have a t wild tomato plant, it's going to grow in the same place every year, right? Because that's where the tomatoes fall. Um, but anyway, there are, there are good reasons, and I've seen the benefits of crop rotation. So the point is, if you don't have your things planted in blocks... Um, you know, if you have three rows of tomatoes and five rows of salad mix, then when you go to rotate, it's all of a sudden, oh no, now what do I do? Because I need five rows. I'm putting salad mix where my tomatoes were. I hope that's obvious. But so, you know, you want 10 rows of tomatoes and 10 rows of salad mix and, and you may combine things, and that's what J.M. does in his book. You know, you may have one plot that has two or three things, but they're always together, they're complementary, and, and you move those together. So you just know, okay, tomatoes are going here in this plot this year, next year they're here. I hope that makes sense. It's hard when I don't have time to go into more detail infrastructure needs and I notice I put a question mark there because you know we live we don't live in an ideal world if you had if you had all the resources available to you that you know if you had the money to just go out um, and set yourself up these are things that I would recommend um, but most of you, if you're like us, you're not starting in, you know, with, with all the resources you need. So you, you manage, you make do. And uh, I don't want to discourage you if you're saying, oh, I, there's no way, I, I can't get all these things. Well, you can start your seeds inside under shop lights, you know. It's, it's a pain, but you can do it. We've done it. Um, but ideally, a heated greenhouse for seed starting. And depending on your, you know, what you want to grow into, you're going to have to decide what size greenhouse. Our, our heated greenhouse is 30 by 60. And one end of that, 12 feet, is concrete floor. That's where we do our, we make our soil blocks, make our potting mix and so that's kind of our work area. So our plants are in a 30 by 48 area. And in the springtime, that is chock-a-block full of transplants. You know, for much of the year, it may not be totally full. But for that early spring rush, um, so, you know, and, and like I say, we're growing on roughly three acres and, and when I say that you know part of that is in cover crops at any one time so we're not actually cultivating three acres at one time do you understand that probably two two and a half at the most that we're ever doing at one time how many people do we have well it depends on when that varies. We, we have a lot of uh, people that come and go because we're committed to trying to teach. And Gustav has been there um, the last, how long? Week? 
little over a week. He's from Latvia, but he came to, um, he's, he's actually at Wildwood, but he came up to spend some time on the farm. So we have those kind of people coming and going. Um, in the summer, we have an apprenticeship program. We're honored to have, where's Anne Elizabeth? Oh, there she is back there. Two of our apprentices here from this year. Is anybody else here? I guess, except for my son, he was part of the apprenticeship program. So in the summer, um, we, we had six apprentices plus myself. And, you know, it's kind of hard because, you know, my wife wears many hats. So it's kind of how much is she on the farm and how much isn't she? It's kind of hard to divide. But we're blessed with lots of help, I can say that. Um, if, we were, if we were paying our apprentices what they're worth, um, we wouldn't have as many because we couldn't afford it. We'd make them work harder. <laughs> but they are, they are set. We give them a stipend and room and board and an education. That's the hope. So we figured that's worth something. And we, we don't pay them, uh, you know, $15 an hour. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question kind of a little bit. How about your children? Well, that's a good question. And that varies on the time of year because some of them are still in school. And my son Joshua is pretty much totally on the farm now, full time. Um, the other, the younger two are not full time because they're still doing school. My oldest son has his own business, so he's basically not on the farm at all. And so um, I would say, I would say for an operation our size, um, you could do it with four people if they really knew what they were doing um, and so then when you start looking at the money you start saying whoa okay but um, if they're your children you also don't have to pay them um, legal wages although we're we're trying to be generous with our children we're we're really we don't ever want them to resent the farm so we're trying to, we're actually trying to cut back what we have to earn and passing more on to them. Okay, we're, we got to rush on here. Washing area, you know, you got to have an area for dealing with your, your produce. And if it doesn't have a cement slab, you know, again, you work with what you've got, but it can become a muddy mess. Um, Gravel, of course, would be a, a, a big step above mud. And gravel can drain, but, you know, if you're washing a lot of dirty produce, that gravel is eventually going to fill up with dirt. So it's not ideal, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, and, and you have to have some kind, you know, we have a three-base sink, uh, but you've got to have something to, to dunk your stuff in and wash it. I've, you know, a lot of people use like metal or plastic, the big feed troughs. You know, a lot of people use bathtubs, you know, the old bathtub kind of thing. So you can be creative with this. You, you work with what you've got. Walk-in cooler. Again, you know, if you don't have the money to start with, you can manage you just have to harvest the same day you're going to deliver, and it may mean getting up really early because you ideally want to harvest when things are cool. Um, so if you can't afford a walk-in cooler, of course, that's another advantage of winter growing. That's not so much of a problem in the winter. Uh, but in the summer, if you want to spread out your harvest over a few days, you really need a walk-in cooler. Uh, well, that's, there's no simple answers in farming. That's the problem. What's the temperature setting of the cooler? 
Well, ours is, is usually about between 45 and 50 because we have a, a jury rig kind of thing. We use what's called a cool bot, and I think I've got it on a handout, the reference. It basically takes a window air conditioner unit and turns it into a cooler by just tricking it to get colder than it normally does. So that's basically as cold as we can get it with our unit. But for a lot of crops, it would be much better if it was down very close to freezing, 32, 33. Um, other crops, and again, you know, this is just um, other crops like it, 50, you know, tomatoes and, and more of your summer crops like it warmer. Um, hoop house or two or three. Um, you'll, once you start using hoop houses, it'll spoil you because the difference of the quality in a hoop house and outside of a hoop house is tremendous. And so it's hard to get too many hoop houses. Um, but starting, you know, again, you start with what you've got. Water for washing area and irrigation, again, we've touched on that, but you need water, not only for growing this stuff, but for washing this stuff. Now, we know growers, in fact, there's a very well-known grower in our area, doesn't wash anything. He harvests it, and it goes straight to the customers. He thinks that's authentic, you know, for the food to come with the dirt on it. Well, we've gotten quite a few of his customers, actually, because they love the fact that our produce is so clean. Um, so, deer fencing. You know, you, you can often handle the little rodents because, you know, usually they don't do a tremendous amount of damage. But if you get a deer in your garden they can do a lot of damage quickly. So you've got to come up with something for deer fencing. And I have a handout. This is a handout in progress. I want to get it more detailed, but it's a start. It's a start for you with, like, I think... I think I've got... Well, I actually didn't put a web website, but I gave you the technical name for deer fencing that we use. It's called 10X Cintiflex, and you can Google it online. Anyway, so I've tried to give you some really practical information here about specific equipment we use, and I wish, I don't know, maybe later in the day we'll, we'll be able to take a little more time on this, but... Um, you know, there are some things you can buy a lot of different varieties of, of, of um, spreaders, you know, for spreading soil amendments and cover crop seed. But there's one particular one that I highly recommend, and it's on here because just for many reasons. You know, we've tried others and... We know what works. So this is the kind of practical information I wanted to get in your hands. Broad fork. Um, I'm just looking at the time. And this is a, maybe I can just, Julia, is it okay if I move around a little bit here? This is a broad fork and Again, this is designed for a 30-inch wide bed, so that's another reason to stick to it. But once you've loosened your bed, and I think you understand, I, I'm, I'm kind of assuming that you have some level of gardening knowledge. And so I'm sorry for all the things I'm not talking about, but I'm trusting if you're thinking about doing it for a living that you have some basic knowledge. But you want to loosen your soil, and once it's loose... You don't walk on your beds, um, except when you're broad forking, but you just use this, push it in and pull it back and, and walk backwards down the bed like this, and um, it keeps your beds loose. And J.M., in his book, his farm is actually, in French, it's... it's uh, 
the garden of the broad fork. That's what it means in French. And the ni another nice thing about his book is in the back, it gives descriptions on all the crops and certain tips that he has for you. And he'll tell you which crops, in his opinion, and, and I think I haven't disagreed with him, which crops would benefit from using the broad fork before you plant. So you don't have to use that between every crop that you grow. But if it's obviously, if it's gonna be a deeper rooted crop, this loosens the soil and makes it better for that. BCS with attachments. Again, that's the walking tractor and we've got somebody here, I think on Friday, he's gonna do a demonstration, I hope. Um, so you can look at that. You know, you're talking some thousands of dollars to get set up with that. But again, it's going to save you a lot of time. Wheel hoe. Man, this is one of the best things ever. Um, you know, people pay a lot of money for a, a gym membership. And, you know, this is like a rowing machine or something. It's a little hard to demonstrate with this. But, you know, you, you go down the rows like this, and you can cover a lot of ground quickly with this. It's If you're growing over half an acre, you're going to want to invest in one of these. Now, um, Richard Daly, who's here, his daughter's in the back there, um, the one, the BCS dealer also sells a wheel hoe. It's, there's kind of three main brands, and I have them listed on one of these handouts. Um, Glacier, Haas, and Valley Oak wheel hoes. Those are the most popular ones. He has the Haas wheel hoes here. I haven't had a lot of personal experience with them, but they're very similar and I, I think I could recommend them even though I haven't used them much. Um, they're actually a lot cheaper than the one I have. Um, but excellent tool. Quality hand tools, and we're not gonna take the time to, to um, demonstrate, man, I just don't know. I'm not used to running out of time like this. I. I'm just trying to think about what to cut out. Precision seeders, greens harvesters. My son manufactures those. Um, and again, I have all those things listed on here, so that's why I'm not going to say a lot about them. But these are specialized tools. They may seem simple. They're often priced at a price you're saying wow that's a lot of money for this but in any kind of trade you go into you, you need tools of the trade to be efficient and so you're going to spend a few thousand dollars to get set up with tools ideally if you don't have a few thousand you just have to work a little harder with what you got um okay well this is good we are at the end. Startup costs. Elliot Coleman, in his book, The New Organic Grower, which is now um, 20 years old, of course, a lot of gardening information never goes out of, out of date, but pricing can go. He suggested that you could get set up to do what you needed to do to market garden for 15,000. Um, Jean Martin Fortier, the market gardener, um, gets a little bit more elaborate with that and a little more detailed and suggests ideally around 39,000. Now that's, he's from Canada, so I'm not exactly sure. I, I assume that's Canadian dollars but I think they're pretty similar. I'm not up on the exchange rate. Pretty similar. Um, you know, that's getting pretty well set up. Now, you know, I would just say 
on the one hand, for many of you, you're probably saying, $40,000, there's no way. Um, you know, to, to start a business, that's not a lot of money. Would you agree with that? You know, you can't open a Taco Bell franchise for $40,000. Um, but for many of you, that may seem like, wow, there's no way. Well, so, so I just say you start with what God gives you. If you're feeling God calling you to do this, then start where you're at. And he will, it's going to be a ride. You better hang on because it's going to be, it's going to be a trip. But um, if he's called, you know, Mrs. White says his biddings are enablings, right? We didn't have 40000 to start with, I can tell you that. But God has blessed and multiplied and he'll work it out. So, okay, we had a question back here. Very good point. Yes, that is not including land purchase. So, yeah, if you're living in the city, um, you got to think about that as well. That's, this is equipment and infrastructure. Yeah, very good point. Okay, we're, we're going to go ahead and stop. Any one or two quick questions here before we stop? Yes, back here. Oh, man. Startup time. How long does it take before, before you can be earning a living at it? Don't quit the day job right away. There, there are so many variables, and I would say the biggest variable is your level of knowledge. I'll tell you, those people that have started up and started strong right off the bat that I know about are all people who spent two, three, four years apprenticing on other farms. They learned all the hard knocks. You know, to me, it's like, I have to be careful what I say on, on the record here, but it kind of boggles my mind that so many people are paying eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars for a four-year degree. Is that too far off the bat? Hundred thousand dollars, and they come out with a hundred thousand dollars in debt, and they don't know much about practical life. Imagine what you could do starting a farm with a hundred thousand dollars. So you spend those four years saving that $100,000 and getting an education on other people's farms, people who are doing it successfully, man, you'll, be, you'll hit the ground running. You'll have the knowledge and you'll have the capital and you can go for it. I know a farm, I get a magazine that I'm going to really push and I've got copies for you. They're just, but come back. We'll have them here. Called um, Growing for Market. Best magazine out there that I know of. It's in your resources. There's a guy up in Michigan near you, Jim. Traverse City. First year, he's going to gross 100000 But he... You know, that's his first year on his own farm. He, it's not his first year of, of, you know, he's not a newbie. Okay? So, again, if my answers are not as straightforward, it's just because there isn't a straightforward answer to a lot of these. But it's not going to happen overnight, I'll tell you that. It took me, and I think there's something about 10 years when you hit the 10-year mark, you start feeling like you know the basics. You, it, you know, it's kind of in there, and it's like, okay, yeah, we got to do this, we got to do this. And um, 
But I don't want to discourage you with that because there's a lot more information available now than when we started. So you all have a big advantage. You've got these books we didn't have. Well, I had Elliot Coleman's book. That was all I had. Okay, I think that's a great amount to start with. For one person, three or four hours a day, that may still feel overwhelming, but it's a good start. I would really maximize that before you think of expanding. Yeah, we'll talk more later, but it's always best to make small mistakes. Don't do like we did. You know, start by planting an acre of strawberries. That's just a bad idea. Okay, let's stop. Dear Lord, we pray that uh, the information we covered was helpful. Um, give me wisdom to know what to say and what to leave unsaid so that we can cover as much ground as possible. And thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.